Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for the book of Romans, and thank you for the opportunity to dive deep. Thank you for the opportunity to stop the world and just pick out a morsel of your scripture and just chew on it and look deep into it and experience the depth of your spirit and the power uh, that you share with us in the gospel. And the good news of Jesus is so clear in this book. And so we want to take time today to just slow the world down and just focus on what you'd have to say to us. Uh, last week we talked about how we are destined to come together and mutually encourage each other. And that's our purpose in the church. And today as we take our next step, God, we ask that you speak in the clarity of the gospel and warm our hearts and be with us in spirit and in truth as we worship and follow you. In your name we pray. Together we say amen and amen. Hey, I'd invite you to open up your Bible or your, uh, your mobile device that has something like version or one of those versions, uh, electronic versions of the scriptures on them. And turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. Now, we started in Romans chapter 1 last week in verses 1 through 17. And as you're kind of looking for the word of God and whatever device you might use, I would challenge you this morning, don't ignore this invitation to look at the word of God yourself. What you're doing is you're actually sharpening the sword, the word of truth, the word of God in your own life. Don't uh, fall to the temptation of just letting somebody else spoon you, feed you the scriptures. Open the scriptures for yourself. If you have a device, open it up and look at the words yourself. If you have a paper Bible, open it up. If you're sitting next to someone who doesn't have access to these, share with them. People need to be able to access and see the Word of God directly in order to grow from it and through it. So I'd invite you to look at Romans chapter 1 with me. And when you get there, um, a couple of the key verses that we talked about last week to start us off, uh, focus on uh, verses 11 and 12. And you're going to find as we get into this expository preaching each week, expository teaching and preaching each week, you're going to find that there's a focused set of verses that you really want to spend your time and heart attention on. Last week it was verses 11 and 12 where Paul says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but it prevented from doing so until now. Reason being is because we understand the Apostle Paul was preaching and teaching somewhere else, and the Holy Spirit had not released him to come to Rome yet. So he's writing this letter. But what we took from that last week was the idea that we are here by God's design to mutually encourage each other. That is, when somebody stands up in front of you or leads a small group that you're in, that person is not above you. That person is actually below you in the hierarchy of the kingdom of God. And that person's role is to lift you up by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you may be closer to God and grow in your faith and be empowered by the move of the Holy Spirit in your heart. So as we move forward in leadership and grow in leadership, we're actually demoting ourselves in humanity. And so Paul is showing that here. He's saying, I could be imparting spiritual gifts to you, but instead, when you and I meet together, we are going to be mutually encouraged with each other. Today's focus verses are set on chapter 3, and hold your place there in Romans chapter 1. But our focus verses for today are in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. And you heard a little bit different of, uh, version of this when Tim was reading a few minutes ago. Here's how it goes. 
But now apart from the law of righteousness, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, if you can see the screen here and see the words on the screen, I'm specifically talking to people who are listening by podcast or watching by video. You may not be able to see this, but you've got three key concepts that we're going to focus on, and they're bolded there in the text. The first one is the righteousness of God. The second one is that all have sinned and fall short. And the third one is the concept of redemption. So what we're going to be looking at particularly is those three concepts, and we're going to talk right off the bat about the idea that God is righteous. Now, when's the last time you used the word righteousness in an average everyday conversation with friends, family, or coworkers, or, or co-students, or peers? When's the last time you used the word righteous? If you grew up in the 70s, you probably used it a whole lot more than you would use today. Because back then in the 70s, the word righteous meant awesome, cool, or like we would say today, amazing. We don't use this word a whole lot. And what does it really mean? What does the concept of righteousness really mean? The Apostle Paul had a firm grasp of the concept of righteousness, and he juxtaposed that concept against something called the wrath of God. And here's how he got into that idea. Today's full text starts in Romans chapter 1 and in verse 18. Now, if you were here last week or listened to the podcast last week, you heard a very comforting message. The idea that if you come into the church as an insider, if you're a Christian, you're welcomed by God and you are able to share in the love of Jesus Christ. If you come from outside the church and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer and you don't even know if God exists, you would have heard the message that God loves you too and sent his son to die for you too and does not withhold his grace from you either, but pours out his grace upon you in the same measure and in the same way he does with a person who calls himself or herself a Christian. There is no difference. And in Paul's time, those two different audiences were Jews who'd been kicked out of Rome by Emperor Claudius and had come back a few years later and found a church that was full of Gentiles, non-Jews. These were people who were new to the kingdom of God, brand new Christians. And as the Jews came back to Rome, they would have discovered these Gentiles, these Greeks who had become Christians. And they'd be like, wait a minute, I was here first. What are you doing here? And they would have had some tussles and some arguments about the church and about their beliefs. Some of that stuff still happens today. But what Paul was doing is he was saying the righteousness of God is for both sets of people. And here's the context into which the righteousness of God comes. Before we understand how powerful the righteousness of God is as it comes into the world, we have to understand the context. We have to understand the background, the palette with which God paints the beautiful picture of his grace. And here's what that looks like. It's starting in verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. We start to hear some bad news. It goes like this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
It goes on and says, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. Make a note of that. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. So God has made his character known, his eternal power and divine nature. He's made them known to all people, Jews, Gentiles, Christians and non-Christians by what he has made in the world. The world around us bears a testament to the character of the power and divine nature of God. If you look at a tree, think of it this way. A tree starts with what? A little seed and then grows really big. Faith can be the same way. Look at a baby. A little baby starts as a little seed and then grows really big by the grace of God. Faith is the same way. Our faith starts in an infantile form where we understand that Jesus died for us and rose again. But then as we grow up in the faith, our faith gets bigger and more mature. Think about how the world works. And if the earth rotated just a little bit faster or a little bit slower, or if the axis of the world tilted one degree to the left or one degree to the right, we would either burn up or we would freeze to death. The nature of the way things are bears testament to how intricately God has designed us. And he's made all of us, both Jew and Greek, both Christian and non-Christian, both believer and non-believer. But something that we share in common is what we call a sinful nature. And the sinful nature caused God to do this. He caused God to love us so much that he withdrew his influence. He didn't take his grace and his love away from us, but he didn't control us like Autobots, like little robots with a remote control. God didn't require us to act or to think or to speak in a certain way. He gave us freedom, what people would call free will or the freedom of choice. And what happened was, starting in verse 24, it says the scripture says, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. God said that sex is best done, it is best held in the context of marriage, where two people get together, man and wife, and commit to each other for lifelong relationship, and that is the context in which sex is designed to do what it does best, create intimacy between man and wife and create children. But people busted outside of that construct, out of that design, and they began to use sex for other purposes. And in fact, sex became an idol for the world. And today it still is, is it not? Well, God also gave them over to shameful lust. It says in verse 25, lust is where you look at something, whether it's sexual or not, and you want that more than you want God. God had to look at that and got really sad about that and had to withdraw his influence from that and let people just do what they were going to do because he wasn't going to force them to love him. So he gave them over to their choices and to their actions. And lastly, down in verse 28, it says, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, even though they looked around in the universe and saw, looked around in the world in front of them and saw the characteristics of God his divine nature, his eternal power in the things that were created. Even though they saw that, 
God had to give them over to what he calls, Paul calls a depraved mind so that they, not, they ought not do what they're doing. The depraved mind is a mind that says the thing that is created, whether it's a man or a woman or something or a career or a home or a neighborhood, something that we seek after more than we seek after God, that becomes our God and it becomes our idol. And it makes our minds depraved, which means our minds are lacking the truth. They lack the truth that God made us and gave everything of himself for us in his son, Jesus Christ. If you want even more bad news, scan on down to the bottom of that paragraph, starting in verse 27, 28. The Bible says they become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, and they disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity or faithfulness, no love, no mercy. Now, that sounds pretty bleak, doesn't it? But it also sounds like an exact depiction for the way the world is, the world in which we live, the real world. This is why when we're raising children, we teach them and try to teach them with our wisdom about how to get along in the world, how to grow in the world and how to be successful in the world. But sometimes we're tempted to teach them to do that without God in the picture. And what happens is that goes wrong somewhere in the picture. Because every single one of us has a sinful nature in us from the beginning. And that sinful nature gives birth to stuff like what is listed there at the bottom of that first paragraph in Romans chapter 1. But look at Romans chapter 2. Flip on over to Romans 2. The point and the problem of all this is not so much that humans are about bad news and that humans make bad choices. Now that's part of it. Because we know that that stuff happens, and we know that we take part in doing it. We know that we are the ones who choose sin based on the fact that a sinful nature is inside of us. But that's not the toughest part. The toughest part is that we are tempted to judge other people who are also caught up in those things. We tend to judge other people who are also born of a sinful nature who engage in envy and strife, who look at something else and lust after it. We are tempted to judge other people who were caught in the difficulties of humanity and forget about the grace that's been given us. And that causes us to sin even further by looking at someone else who doesn't deserve to be judged by us and whom we judge. Because God is the one who is qualified to judge humanity, not me. And so look at what the Apostle Paul says. This is verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself. The finger that you're pointing out is pointing back at you. The reason is, is because you go back to our verses that are in our focus today. Romans 3.21 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not just people outside the church. Not just people who look like sinners. Not just people who act like sinners overtly. Not just people who sin more than me outside of my body and outside of my mind. But all of us have fallen short. Every single one of us. 
from the good ones to the bad ones, we're all in the same boat, falling short of the glory of God. And the problem is, is we get tempted to think about ourselves as doing pretty well spiritually when we start to grow in the faith. And what that does is it causes us to turn inward and to shut down the good news of Jesus that he's having us participate in that, share, that shares itself and spreads itself with people who are outside the church. Here's the idea. The idea is simply this, that God is being patient with us and giving us the benefit of time so that the good news of Jesus can change our hearts, not only to move away from sin, but also to be a party to him sharing the good news that his good news is for everyone, not just people in the church. His good news is for everyone because none of us can reach the standard that God has set. If you think about it and do this with me, raise your arms up and draw a bar above your head. Raise your arms up and draw a bar above your head. Imagine if there was a standard above your head that you were trying to reach and you were trying to grow up to that standard and imagine that for every inch you grew, that standard just kept rising. Imagine if you tried to reach the ceiling in your home and you grew a couple of feet and your arms went up and you almost touched the ceiling, but then the ceiling kept rising. Imagine how, how frustrating and difficult that might be because the standard is too high. We tend to look at that along with the world and say, wait a minute, God's standard is too high for me. I can't reach that standard. I'm never going to be good enough for God. I'm never going to be good enough to be accepted in his church. And that leads us to a place spiritually where we begin to understand the full righteousness and goodness of God. Because God knows that all of us have sinned and fall short of his glory. He knows that already. Look at verse 4 in chapter 2. Paul says this, Do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness? Forbearance and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended, intended to lead you to repentance? God's kindness and patience in sharing the bad news with you is to set you up for the good news. Think about that. God's patience and kindness in sharing the bad news of your life and this world that you live in is to set you up to receive the full power of the good news. And God says that the bad news applies to everyone evenly. That gives us the temptation to point the finger at others and to say, why aren't others as good as I am? It gives us the temptation to judge others and to condemn others that others should be Christians, others should be as good as I am, or others should have grown as much as I've grown by this point. But that's not the heart that God would bring out in us. Here's the full power of that message. If you look at Romans chapter 3 and just move ahead into the third chapter, back in the days of the Old Testament, even the prophets would write about this idea. As it is written, the scripture says, in the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and Isaiah, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. 
There is no one who does good, not even one. Look at this. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Feet are shift. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways in the way of peace. They do not know. Look at this last sentence and think about the culture you live in. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now you could look at that and you could feel imprisoned by that. And in fact, I would suggest to you today, in a culture that caters to try to make you feel better so that you will buy something from them, it is okay for you to feel the dissonance of being caught in a wave of sin and discord against the God who made you. It's okay to feel that because in the darkness of that comes the power of the light of Christ and the power of the good news of Jesus. We tend to think that being in the faith is kind of like being arrested by sin and feeling captive to sin from now until the end of our lives. And we feel the need for somebody to come along and bail us out. But bail is the wrong way to think about this. This sets us up for the concept of redemption that we're going to get into next. We tend to think that we need somebody to spiritually bail us out of the despair of being set against God in sin from the beginning of our lives. Somebody to come along and bail us out. But if you know anything about bail at all, how does bail work? Somebody goes to jail for what reason? They've broken the law, or at least we presume they've broken the law. They've allegedly broken the law, right? And when they go to jail and they're bailed out of jail, the bail is contingent upon what? Going to court. So they have to come back and face the judge on their charges after they've been bailed out of jail. See, for a lot of us in our culture, we're tempted to believe that Christianity is this way. That Christianity is only a temporary relief for the sin that I'm facing in myself. And that I need to keep coming back again over and over again and asking for forgiveness over and over again. And being captive to my sin over and over again. Never really escaping, never really escaping the jail of my sinfulness. And our culture looks at us as Christians and says, look, see, that Christian went over there and did something bad. They're not really a Christian. Either that or Christians are all just hypocrites. But see, the nature of this thing is not that we're being bailed out of jail. Look back at our focus verses. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in verse 24, would you read this verse 24 with me? And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, redemption. When you think about the word redeem, what comes to mind? Maybe you go to Meyer and you have some coupons and you redeem them for what? For value against something that you're purchasing. A coupon is like a discount. It takes a little bit off. And every great once in a while, we get a coupon that pays for something for free. But how much do we get those things, those free things in coupons? Not very much. 
Coupons are designed to give you a little bit off so that you'll appreciate the seller and then go back and do what? Buy more at full price, right? There's always a catch to the idea. But redemption doesn't work this way. Redemption in the kingdom of God doesn't work like a temporary fix. It's not bail. It doesn't get you out of jail for a few minutes only to send you to court. Redemption is different from this. Redemption is more like ransom. And in fact, if you look at some other versions of scripture, you'll find the word ransom actually used. How is ransom different from a coupon? Ransom is paid to someone who has held someone captive, like taken them prisoner or kidnapped them. And a ransom is a monetary value of money that's paid to do what? To set that person free. That is the spirit with which Paul is writing the word redemption. But the problem with us is that we think God still holds that high standard over our heads even as we come in and receive the good news of Jesus. That's simply not true. It's simply not true. God has taken our sin away as far as the east is from the west. He has paid the ransom, as Paul writes, in the form of a redemption. In other words, we have been ransomed from sin. Sin has held us captive, and the effects of it, the envy, the murder, the strife, the fighting, the jealousy, the wanting something that doesn't belong to us, all of that stuff that we chase after because of the sinful nature in us, God has bought us from that captivity. He has bought us from that captivity by giving his son Jesus. And that truth applies to every single human being. It is only the person who says, I don't want that gift, who condemns himself to an eternity apart from God. It is only the person who says no to that gift, who confines himself to the prison of sin forever. And God says one day he will return to redeem his creation, his whole world. What that means is the free gift of Jesus is there for every single one of us until we take our last breath. Friend, there is absolutely nothing that you have done. There is nothing that you have said. There is nothing that you have even thought that is outside of the grace of God. You think back on your past or think about where you live in your present today and all of what you are in the past and present and all of who you are in the future is covered by Jesus and covered by the redemption of his body and blood on the cross for you and for me. There is nothing in you that keeps you from being a part of that good news. My question for you today is this, as we walk through Romans together, my question for you today is this, do you really believe that you are redeemed, that the ransom of God's son has been paid for you? You know what? If you don't believe that today, that's okay. Because guess what? It still happened. It still happened for you. 
And one day as the Holy Spirit reveals faith in that good news for you, you'll think back and hopefully remember that you didn't have to earn God's love. God's love was always there for you. And it was always there even before you believed. You see, you belong to God and you belong to us in this family even before you believe. God loves you that much and we love you that much. My hope is sitting here today that you hear that. If you don't believe in Jesus, that's okay. God believes in you and gave all of himself for you. One day, if you trust in Jesus, remember, he was there, and he didn't hold this over you. He simply extended his hand in love and never withdrew it. So let's embrace this idea, even if we're in front of faith. Not one of us is outside of the good news of Jesus. Every one of us is inside the good news of Jesus. And everyone around you has the good news of Jesus accessible to him or to her. In fact, God may be planning great things to use your life to bring others into his kingdom. So we welcome the kids back in. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, thank you so much for your good news. Thank you that you didn't merely just bail me out in order to turn around and send me back to court. God, you paid a ransom for my life through Jesus. And that's amazing. Sometimes I am tempted to believe that the sinful nature I'm born with keeps me away from you. And God, I know now that that is simply not true, that you've done everything that is required to take me to the standard of perfection that you put out there before me. So God, I lay that confession before you and I thank you for giving me faith in Jesus, for helping me understand who he is and who I am to you because of him. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen.